Welcome, welcome, listeners. You're back here with the Nib Section, official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Uh, we're back here through the magic of the internet with each other, as well as broadcasting to you. It has been a long time since the three of us have all been in the same room. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but I'm going to introduce my other hosts. First up, Sharon, normally our generous benefactor, uh, coming at us live from the interwebs. Hello, Sharon. Hello. Sitting there with Seb on her lap in the video feed. I also have Lemon on my lap at the moment. But she is uh, being a bit camera shy at the moment. <laughs> I would have Lance on my lap, but I don't think he would fit on my lap. He's a big, you need big a, dog. Yeah, we need a bigger <laughs> lap. Um, and uh, that a voice... Really big couch. <laughs> uh, that voice as well uh, is our other host joining us for today. I'd like to welcome back fearless leader Diana. Welcome back. Hello. It's been so long. Yeah, we haven't we haven't recorded uh, together since the live show at the Sydney Pen Show, and before then, uh, our last one in the same room together uh, under what, what I'll call controlled circumstances was um, just a little before the Pen Show. How is everybody? I'm good. Um, I've missed you guys. Although I don't think the listeners have missed us because while we were taking care of some stuff like traveling and work, Mel and Kevin and the Melbourne crew kindly took over the pod and um, we got to hear from some people that really we should hear a bit more of um, and hopefully we'll be hearing more of them soon because we're coming down to Melbourne for the Melbourne Pen Show very, very soon next weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think anyone's really, really missed us while we were gone. <laughs> we just missed each other. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I love hearing from the, the Melbourne crew um, as well. Same. It's, it's fun as well when you're used to being on the show regularly to hear someone take the show away from you and just be like, oh, I, I don't remember any of this because I didn't do any of this. <laughs> yeah, you get to enjoy the show as a as a listener rather than as um, someone who is producing or preparing content for it. So I really enjoyed it. Um, I listened to the last two podcast episodes while um, jet-setting around uh, Europe and Israel, and I have a lot of stories I'd love to share with you guys at some point about uh, my Israel experience, um, which includes... Are these, are these on-air stories or off-air stories? Uh, on air store, they, they, they're nothing too incriminating other than the okay. fact that I came very close to getting strip searched at Heathrow Airport <laughs> while going through the security for El Al. Apparently, it was very suspicious. I was a very suspicious character. <laughs> um, just before we get any further today, what uh, what are we all riding with? Haven't done this one in a, in a hot minute, but uh, let's let's start off with you, Sharon. What have, what have you got for us today? So I don't actually have it here because I'm, I'm in bed, but um, the past couple of weeks I've just been using a Decimo and I haven't actually been doing a lot of writing at all. I've been using a Mitsukoshi edition, red edition Decimo with a fine medium nib, which um, came with me all the way from Sydney to London to Paris to Israel, back to London, back to Singapore and to Sydney. And I can happily report that whether the cartridge was partially full, um, half empty, um, full, whatever it was, not a single drop leaked 
from all the various flights I took, which is quite impressive. I was just about to ask you that. Yeah. yeah because you always travel with Decimos, don't you? Yeah, they don't leak. Because last time when you went to, uh, was it Singapore or is it Hong Kong? It was also a Decimo that you, tra- you took with you. Yeah. So it's the one pen that you travel with. The one pen that I travel with is a Decimo. Um, no leakages like absolutely none. And I didn't have the pen upright or anything. It was in my carry-on luggage. It was in my checked-in luggage at one point. I know it was pretty gutsy to take it it into checked-in. I didn't, I haven't done a lot of writing, but what, what little writing I have been doing, I've been using a decimal. I'm, I'm a real sucker for taking things on trips with me. Uh, cause you guys know, I try not to have too many things, but what I do is, if I take it somewhere with me, I feel like I attach more memories to it, and I'm less likely to get rid of it. Uh, it's it's one of my one of my methods of hanging on to things. Wait, I have a question. So, when you travel with fountain pens, do you refill with cartridge or do you refill with ink? Uh, is this uh, me or is this Shane? like a bottled ink? Both of you. Uh, I have, I think, only flown with an eight two three, which was like full and sealed. Uh, both times I used it, so yeah, yeah. And you, I, you're not likely to run out of ink um, with an eight two three drink, and not and not on not on the t- the kind of trips I've taken since getting into fountain pens. I have taken you know bigger, less scheduled trips with a lot more free time, and I imagine if I had been using fountain pens at those times, then I, w- I would have been more likely. But not the case recently. Not the case. How about you, Sharon? Because the Decimo doesn't have a lot of ink capacity, so nope. do you refill? No? You, you didn't run out of ink at all? Didn't run out of ink. I syringed up a full cartridge before I left um, with Asagal, in case anyone was wondering. No surprises it's, it's there. Still 20, it's still 2019. It's still so 2019. Still so I had a full cartridge. I've, it's almost empty now, whether that was from evaporation or the high-low uh, high pressures in the... Um, on the flights, I don't know, but um, I've never had to refill. Diana, what are you writing with today? I'm writing with uh, a pen that I'll be talking on later in the episode. It is something that I was inspired to pick up after our, was it a August or a September mini-meet? I feel like it was probably September, um, where we had a, a listener from the UK visit us in Sydney and um, he requested if we could meet some fountain pen folks here in Sydney. And so I arranged a little meet and we had some new members turn up and one of them was showing his Franklin Christophe Model 19. I believe it's called the 1901, although I can't be quite positive, but it's this chunky, chunky pen. I, I think it looks really nice. It is... What would you call this shape? It's like a sort of a vintage fountain pen shape with two white bands on a mostly black body. Um, The cap is really wide and um, cylindrical. It has this really nice tapered section. But what I really like about it is the white bands, which sort of break up the monotony of the single colored body. Um, My issue with a lot of Frank and Christoph, their designs is I, I'm not a huge fan of a single colored resin body. I find having the same material for the whole body, in my opinion, is a little monotonous. 
So I think having these two bands of white running around it, so horizontally across the pen, just makes it a lot more interesting to look at. And on this Model 19 Franklin Gustav, I have one of Audrey's Signips. It's an F-Sig. It writes basically like a really smooth, somewhere between a stub and a cursive italic. I find um, the F-Sig to be a really nice everyday sort of a writing width. Um, I also have one of her B-Sigs, but that's a little sharp for cursive, for my style of cursive. So this one is good for even fast cursive writing um, and my my handwriting in particular. So yeah, I'm really enjoying using this and I have it inked with Caran Dash Magnetic Blue. (laughs) So the Franklin Kristoff, I'm just going to forewarn you guys, is going to be a bit of a theme in this particular episode. Uh, oh, totally unplanned. Totally unplanned <laughs> because I, I, will, I will show you the two pens that I do have with me. The rest of them are currently with Concierge, um, but I have done some Franklin Christoph haulage. Oh, okay. So they all arrived when you were overseas. Is that what happened? They have mostly arrived or they're arriving tomorrow. I also did some haulage overseas of Franklin Christoph. Um it's been a very Franklin Christoph filled um, month. I, I've also actually picked up one of those FC 19s in the black and diamond cast green that they've oh, done. It's nice. on the um, Franklin Christoph the stock room at the moment. So on the note of Franklin Christoph, um, <laughs> and completely unplanned with me, uh, the episode with Audrey kind of she she's in a Discord chat uh, that I'm also in. And um, the FC Model 2, the Amber and Cinema Rune, which is uh, mostly a transparent orange and uh, this like a maroon cap with uh, some like a, a material with a little bit of um, chatoyance uh, is I was on the fence about it uh, and I was having a chat with her about it. And she was saying that she calls this model uh, the sweet tea because it looks like the sweet tea that everyone drinks uh, in her part of the states and that kind of took me over the the edge for it and i was like right uh, i guess i'm gonna go buy some sweet tea uh and (laughs) it came and it's great i have previously been on the fence about the model 2 with the uh tapering body uh, and i wasn't necessarily sure about it when i hit the purchase button but since it's arrived i've actually found it really very comfortable um it's a quick stow and it's a very attractive pen with a 1.1 cursive uh, calligraphy stub i believe in the uh, 14 karat gold it's great look uh, good job from everyone uh, at franklin christoph for both the shipping the nib work and the design on this one uh, big fan of it. I love how quickly Franklin Christophe mm-hmm. arrives in Australia. Right out. You order it, and it, yeah, and it basically lands through FedEx. It comes into the country, and you get it within like three days. Yep. Yeah. Which is amazing. Shocking. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. From US. Yeah. Really great. Um, I've I've been a a big fan of using this. It's actually this will lean into our later uh into a topic we're gonna bring up in a bit. But um I'm doing a lot of writing this month, uh aiming at uh fifty thousand words worth of writing. 
and so I figured I was going to pick just a handful of pens with good daily driver kind of nibs and just drain those over the course of the month. And this has managed to make the cut, even though it only arrived a few days beforehand. So I've got it full of, what have I got in it? That's a good question. Uh, no, I have Sailor Gentle uh, Tokiwa Matsu in it right now, which is a very nice uh, lubricated and well-behaving ink for the month. So we have a couple of things to get through before our main topic. Diana, I believe you have some feedback for us. Uh, do you want to go through that? Well, first, um, thanks again to Mel and Kevin and Tom for reading out some feedback in the last couple of episodes. Since then, we've also gotten an email from Dave from San Diego. Dave writes, congratulations on 55 great episodes. I have really enjoyed your podcasts and appreciate the time and energy you devote. Oh, and Mel from Melbourne is great. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> we agree. Mel from Melbourne is great. What I would love to do is that anytime we get uh, Melbourne praise, we read that out. And anytime Sydney praise Melbourne, they can We're read it. We're not on the way. Yeah. <laughs> We're not on the pod. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll mix it, mix it up a little bit. At time of recording, uh, we've just jumped into November, which is interesting for a couple of reasons. One on the list being that most of us have just finished off with Inktober. For those of you that uh, perhaps don't know, uh, Inktober is a kind of a program or a, a list of prompts uh, that every day of October you contribute to, whether you write something or draw something, every day uh, has a word. And we, we kind of do something like this, uh, have done something like this in the Fountain Pens Oceania group uh, for a while, not always regularly, because we don't always uh, have running lists, but we often throw up uh, daily words to encourage people to write uh, and or draw. I know, Di, you get involved sometimes. Sharon, do you get involved? Um, I did right at the very beginning, and then I don't, <laughs> as a general as a general rule. Um, and it's mainly just due to time constraints. It takes more time than you think it does, because it's not just the drawing itself. Few of us are, general, are consistent enough drawers to just write or draw the first thing that comes onto the page with the word. Some of us like to do research and figure out what we're going to do, uh, and that takes time. So the, the question about Inktober that I had, uh, and this this is uh, going to play in with uh, our different levels of involvement. Some years, this year particularly, I was very, very well participating, um, is not a sentence. I was participating <laughs> a lot, uh, but... Um, you were devoting a lot of time to yeah. it. I mean, if you follow Chuck on uh, – did you put them up on Instagram? Or I did, was it I did. on the Facebook group? No, I've, I put them up on Instagram. I've taken some of them down, but I've kept the ones that I really was happy with. Yeah, you were, you had them on, on your Instagram stories, um, but not necessarily every day was a, like a post from memory. Yeah, I, but, was, uh, I wasn't so Chuck, always happy. Chuck this year for Inktober basically – drew, illustrated a new piece of artwork for every single day of Inktober, like, well, penciled, inked, um, coloured, devoted a lot of time to it. And um, he posted every single one of those on the Fountain Pens Oceania website. And we don't want to say that this is something that we do every month, 
for a while, a couple of years ago, there was about a year or so where we had uh, a writing post every month with a list of prompts for every day of the month. But it it's still, it's such a commitment and a real difficulty, I think, to maintain that that pace and yeah. um, the time it, effort it takes to do that every day. So we, we have been getting behind in the last year or so. But Inktober, I think, it's a nice it's a defined period. It's one month. It's not a long-term commitment. You just set yourself this aim to draw or write something every day for one month. And that's something that's more achievable. So for you, did you, Chuck, um, as someone who did Inktober consistently all of the last month, what did you think was your reward from committing to Inktober this year? Like, did you find that your um, drawing was improving? Were you learning more about your skills through this process? Yeah. So off the bat, I don't always do Inktober. Last year, I opted out entirely. I don't think I did any of it last year. This year, I i mean, full disclosure, uh, I'm unemployed uh, at the moment. Uh, I'm, and well, you quit your job. <laughs> I, yeah. So I, I resigned and I'm, I, uh, I'm taking a little bit of a breather, which I think contributed to me being able to devote so much time to Inktober. Previously, I've, I've found that work, even if you actually physically have time to do it, often if you're, if you're working full-time, you don't want to go home and then have to do more quote-unquote work, right? Just, um, you know, downtime and everything. And I totally get that. This year, I didn't really have an excuse not to do it. Uh, so I got involved. I do think I, I took a bunch of risks and I got a lot better. And the good thing about it was that once I was past a certain point in the month, it was like there was no backing out. You were committed. It was yeah. like reaching halfway through a marathon. And if you stop then, then you'll have wasted all of this. Um... Progress. No, no. Um, no. Sunken costs. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, point so of no return. The, the, yeah. yeah. The thing that I wanted to bring up about it is that that idea of prompts for uh, encouraging you to do work, it's not just specific. Inktober has been a big one with artists, and I think uh, it's been very prevalent uh, on Instagram as well, and previously on Tumblr and, you know, uh, a lot of other image sites that have predated uh, our general social media, but with writers as well, like the writers will have like question prompts and, um, uh, and on, on Reddit, you can find there's, there's a writing prompt subreddit as well, uh, just to encourage you to do something. And I flick back and forth, whether I find that encouraging or overwhelming. Uh, and sometimes I come up upon those lists and I will do a quick. Uh, I'll do a quick scan of the words, and if there's enough there that I kind of have the basics of ideas for, it, then I'll, I'll do it. But a lot of the time, as well, and you'll see this with uh, Inktober, is that people come up with their own lists because they don't like the lists that are being put out for that year, or whatever it is that that collection of words doesn't do anything for them at that time. I saw a few other ones. I saw Beasttober, which was like draw, drawing 31 mm -hmm. different kinds of monsters. They had one in May called Mermaid, which was like drawing all, all a bunch of different kinds of mermaids, etc. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for the slightly uh, not safe for work crowd, uh, 
October was also Kinktober. If you want to look that up, knock yourself out. I, I wanted to ask people about how though that you know list of questions the because um, essentially what those words are are questions for you to answer you have to provide something how helpful you find those um, and I, my mood my mood goes back and forth I never regret doing an inktober or a list of prompts all the way through but quite often I can get to day 14 and just be like oh I don't have the energy for this right now uh, and I love writing. I love writing. I love pens, but mm. I just don't want to do this. I've never done, I used to do quote of the day prompt lists, but I've never done, and I've never done Inktober before, I don't think. The closest thing I can think of to something like Inktober I've done is when I was very active on Live Journal, I used to do quite a lot of. I guess you'd call them like writing challenges where you'd have a list of prompts and you'd have to basically write a story, well, a series of a collection of stories um, with each mini story being based on a, a line or a prompt or a word prompt. And I always found that to be quite a creatively freeing exercise because I find the prompt itself is limiting enough to give you some structure without binding you in any one particular, oh, what's the word? Um, it's not too prescriptive. You have a lot of freedom to interpret it however you like. I found that to be a really easy and fun thing to do. Um, sometimes you get stuck in a rut and having a prompt gives you a little bit of a push and it sets you off in a direction that you might not necessarily have done you know, without that prompt. So, yeah, I think it depends on where you are creatively and how inspiring you find the particular prompts, as you were saying, Chuck. Sometimes they work and sometimes you don't. Yeah. Um, they don't work for you. I saw the Beast Tober ones and it started, mm -hmm. it started with Centaur. And here's the thing. Drawing a human is hard and drawing a horse is hard. Drawing them together... <laughs> I think I gave up on Beasttober day one. I was like, I'm just going to do the regular prompt list. But um, I I do think that the the prompt has to grab you, and there there has to be yeah, like Centaur is a very specific is a very specific prompt. You know, it's it's different to say a word like mount. Mount is so open to interpretation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you could draw a horse. You could draw draw a hobby horse. You could draw anything that you can ride on. Um, but yeah, Centaur, it, it, it kind of tells you what you have to draw. And if you can't draw that thing, then I guess you're stuck. <laughs> it's a very, I think, intermediate level of commitment to doing writing or in that you can kind of jump in and out at any time and you can do multiple days uh, worth of prompts in a single day if you're prepared. But also... It, it is going to take time to do those if you want to do them, if you want to do them well, if you want to put some work into it and have something that you will find interesting and not just be scroll on the bottom left corner of your notebook on the back of a page you've already used, uh, which I mean, you could get done straight away. But if you want to do something that you would like to show people, you're going to take a bit more time. So Chuck, you, your partner is an artist, like a professional artist. Yes. Um, and, and all three of us, we don't write or draw professionally as our, 
main, you know, line of work. Oh, you don't as of yet. I don't know if that's something that you're aiming for. Uh, but do you find that the way that you approach prompts is different from the way that Erin would approach a prompt? I mean, would, does she find it easier to get into the rhythm of doing the daily drawings? Is she more um, strict with herself? Is she more able to get into that zone? Yeah. So she doesn't, she doesn't work in color. Um, she just did line work, but she's also a much more experienced artist. And whereas I would be planning weeks, I think by the end of the first week, I'd had some idea of what I wanted to do for every prompt written down on a list somewhere. Um, and by the end of the, by the end of the month, half of it had been Miyazaki and the other half had, had been other other animes. But um, Erin was a lot more free about it, and she might do five prompts in a day, uh, and, they, and they'd all be line work, but she wouldn't think about it too much in advance. Um, and it was very, very different, very different methods uh, of, of working through it. She, even as a, an, an illustrator, uh, has uh, she told me that she's tried to do Inktober before and has often been halfway through it and been like, oh, I don't want to commit to this anymore. So even even if you regularly write or draw, that thirty days can can grate on. Um, if if you if it's not something that you want to be doing all the time, you know, being creative mm -hmm. takes energy. It's not always a vent. Sometimes it's you really have to make it work. Yeah, speaking of um, putting in the work. You just committed to really do a lot of work because you signed on for NaNoWriMo today. Uh, well, a couple of days ago on yeah. November 1st, right? <laughs> NaNoWriMo, for those who have never heard of it, is a it's a writing challenge. I can't remember the organization that runs it every year, but NaNoWriMo stands for National Novel Writing Month. And it's where you commit to writing every day and writing at least... 50,000 words within a month, right? Yeah. So it works out to roughly 1,670 words uh, mm -hmm. a, a day, a day uh, yeah. which is not a small amount. I mm -hmm. can see someone working full-time and doing this, but not... I know. I have friends who, who've done this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, while, while Absolutely. Job. But it, it does clear time and you really do need to use your time i am a horrible i i write occasionally uh for various other things and writing for me has usually been a case of i'm going to sit at this desk with my computer open and over the course of eight hours i will slowly put a page together with my my limited uh, attention span uh now i have had uh, an idea for a book for the past six years uh, and uh, in in true um, non uh, in in true I'm never going to write a book fashion I spent a lot of time talking about it and mm -hmm. my ideas in the world that I'd built as if someone else was going to write the book for me uh, which uh, <laughs> funny thing about that in six years it didn't happen so um, <laughs> I, I figured... Uh, the ideas didn't magically just coalesce on the page into no. this shining document. No, they, they didn't. But um, <laughs> it, it's a big undertaking. And I, I, don't think, yes. I don't think most people edit during, no. uh, during their um, writing 
uh, stage in NaNoWriMo. I don't know no, how I no, don't know no, how many people no. at the end of it come up with something that they're like, oh yeah, this is fine. No, I way. originally <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a first draft, it's, really. And it's not even that. So I did NaNoWriMo while working full-time in a mm-hmm. professional accounting firm. So I worked, what, 10 to 14 hours a day. And then mm-hmm. I came home and I smashed out NaNoWriMo. 2012, I think it was 2012 or 2013. Um, so it's possible to do. It's about quantity over quality. Mm-hmm. There was very little exactly. quality in what I wrote. Um it was mostly stream of consciousness and all the planning I had done well beforehand. So that undertaking was definitely more than a month um, because in October, October or September, I actually sat down and did up the skeletons of the characters and what broadly was going to happen. And then in the month of November, I effectively just sat down and put words to paper regardless of the quality of the words. Yeah. Did you, did you get to 50,000? Yep. I passed it actually. I got to about Amazing. sixty or seventy. Um, it Good. got easier towards the end. It really got easier towards the end because by the end it was just random gobbledygook that was coming out um, that followed no storyline whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, as as I'm writing now, I frequently because I'm writing it all by hand, uh, and I basically am when I transcribe it to digital, that's ah. going to be the editing process. Uh, yeah. So what I'm doing... You're making it difficult for yep. yourself, I find. Yeah. I gave up I, handwriting, um, I think, after about day four or five. I handwrote my first couple, and then I just went straight onto the laptop. I've, I've actually <laughs> yeah. found, it, found it to be uh, pretty, pretty good on the, the handwriting side of things. What's, what's happened was if you miss a day... And, and by the way, we're three days in. Um, How many day days one, have you missed? <laughs> so day one, I wrote uh, 1,800 words. Uh, that night, I went and uh, had a celebration with some work friends. Uh, so day two was not productive. Day two had about 100 words. I've hit my target today. But the funny thing is that on day one, it really was like sit down at my desk for conservatively nine hours of the day. And just on... <laughs> Like, like I would get up and I would get a coffee. I would take the dog for like a short walk around the block or whatever, but I would keep coming back. And I worked in very disparate blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I know we're a fountain pen podcast and we should be encouraging people to use their fountain pens, but I really strongly urge you to not write and edit at the same time. Like either write and not transcribe it, just like do an estimate based on how many words per page or write it, type it up. I mean, because I think you're wasting time by writing it and then transcribing it because that's just additional work when you could be writing. Um, Oh, it's not a, it's not a smart choice. (laughs) You're setting yourself up for failure because, um, I don't know anyone who writes and also edits in the same month. I know people sometimes who, count so instead of writing a novel within the month they they edit their novel and that counts as their NaNoWriMo project so I I originally I originally had planned to edit during the month like write it out by the first 20 days and edit by the last 10 not gonna not gonna happen (laughs) not gonna happen yes Uh, yes, very ambitious but but like even as I'm writing it now every Mm -hmm. every you know uh 
200 words or whatever that I get out, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, this is going to have to go in another part of the book. It doesn't matter. I'm going to keep writing. Yeah. So there's. And I, I got to I got to tell you, like, um, I think I sent you um, a blog post that my friend Mar- Mar- Marina, she wrote this year, reflecting on her experiences of doing NaNoWriMo for the first time last year. And she I really said liked that, it. that positive that positive reinforcement is so important and having that immediate positive feedback of knowing your word count, how much you've done in a day or how much progress you've done within the last hour or so is that's what keeps you going. Right. It it also allows you to track where you are um, and how much you need to go a lot quicker um, rather than, you know, writing a few pages, typing it up and then figuring out, what was my productivity in the last six hours or whatever. Yeah. So, so day one, I kind of just logged the whole day. Whereas today, Mm -hmm. and we're recording this at about nine o'clock at night today, I've done maybe three hours of writing, but when I did the writing, I wasn't doing anything else. I like, I clocked in for an, an hour and, or like, less than time I tend to go by distance so I'll fill a page or half a page and then I'll take a break Um, and then I'll come back to it and I'm finding that I'm being a lot more economical with trying to write rather than sitting with the page open and just seeing when I come back to it if I'm really sitting in to write and uh, making sure that I'm putting words on the page then I tend to work half a page or a page at a time um, and it's it's been on this book that that works out to 300 400 words at a time so what you write 300 400 words and then you take a break and then I'll, I'll basically write a page or half a page and mm-hmm. then I'll take a break and whenever I come back to it but what I won't do is just sit with that book open doing other things until I'm like oh I should write now like I put in time and then I mm-hmm. will come back to it a little bit later. But I will make sure that over the course of the day, uh, I get at least that um, 1,700 words. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, it, it has been a, a big undertaking. And I... I, I <laughs> You're really, only on day three, Chuck. <laughs> I, I know. But I also... I still, like I really do salute anybody that has attempted this, and even if even if they haven't gotten to their their word limit um, goal, it's a lot of writing. And this is in these three days, I've done probably more writing on my book than I have in the past six years. Uh, mind you, a lot of planning has been done though. Like in in uh, six years of playing around with an idea, I don't have to put a lot of planning on paper in that I kind of know what's going to happen. I know the bones and a lot of it is discovery writing in that like, Oh, I wonder how this character is going to be. Uh, a lot of them I don't know yet, but uh, it'll, it'll, Well, I look forward to hearing how your method and your process evolves um, during the course of November, because I think it probably will. Um, and you're probably, yeah. I don't know. I've never done NaNoWriMo because I'm, terrible at time management <laughs> i willingly admit to that and i i that's why that's another reason why i really don't do prompt lists so much because um i'm very bad at doing that daily commitment to a single thing um so i salute anyone who's done nanorimo or attempted it but i think your first nanorimo is always going to be a bit of a learning experience that's what i've heard from everyone who's ever done it and 
I think you need to be willing to to not have such a fixed um, plan of what your process should be like. I think you have to be willing to to adapt as you move along. Yeah, the the post you sent me I actually loved, and regardless uh, of whether you're planning on doing. Uh, NaNoWriMo or whether you're just uh, interested in in what it is, uh, listeners, I think you should uh, read this blog post. I found it uh, really great as someone that is uh, attempting to do it. I found it very informative um, and I, I recommend it. Yeah, I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. It's a post by Marina Berlin. Five things I learned from my first NaNoWriMo. Okay, uh, which will take us. I, I mean, I'll keep you guys posted about that um, <laughs> and the the editing. Yeah, do the editing process that I'm sure is going to balloon outwards exponentially. But um, the next topic and the main topic, which we don't tend to do these very often, but it is a recent acquisition topic uh, because we haven't uh, been in the same room for a while. Now, Sharon, you you've mentioned you've you've got a whole as well do you want to start in on your uh haul during your uh travel so i didn't actually buy many pens on my trip i didn't actually uh visit any pen shops until i got to singapore this time around but um right before i left i actually placed uh fairly well placed three orders with franklin christoph um so i am uh well, new owner to soon to be twelve new Franklin Christophs. <laughs> the look on Chuck's face right now is 12. legendary. <laughs> the uh, is that from is that from zero or is that no, where no, you no, no, Franklin no. Christoph was? Um, I think I have. I I think I already have five or six. So this puts I, you well on the way to that that custom fifty. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm just I'm just thinking of how we were talking about maybe getting you down to 100 pence. No, not going to happen. Now you've got <laughs> you're, not going to happen. It sounds like you bought like two dozen pens within the space of a month. I did actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I've had a couple of recent acquisitions. Um, so other than Franklin Christophs, which I'll talk about in a bit more detail, um, I did end up caving and getting the Montblanc uh, calligraphy expression pen in the one four nine size. Six or nine, okay. In the one four nine size, um, so I picked that up since our last uh, recording session, and uh, my feedback on it so far is that I really, really like the pen. I'm very surprised at uh-huh. how much I like it, and I'm very surprised at, at how much. I don't mind the oversize of the 149. So that, that's been quite an experience. The nib itself has been uh, fantastic to use. It's been really, really good. It's quite, um, it's quite textured, which is kind of, well, I can't say it's unlike Mont Blanc. So Mont Blancs range from fairly textured in their extra fine range um, to really quite smooth um, the, when you get up to a medium size. So this one sits in the extra fine range, so it's got a bit of texture to it. Um, good bounce. 18 carat flex snip, interestingly enough. And you can get a decent amount of line variation from it. So uh, that's been inked since I picked it up before I went on uh, went overseas. So that was one purchase. 
I put in an order for the new Decimo matte range. So I put in a pre-order for all 20 colours. So <laughs> These are the, the Japan only. Yes, the Japan um, only. New colour Decimos, right? That's yeah. right. Um, so I picked up some of those. Uh, they're not going to come until quite a bit later. And then I picked up more Decimos, which I will show maybe in a future episode uh, because I don't have them. I don't actually have them at the moment. Um, they're due to arrive tomorrow. And then, um, most excitingly, Franklin Christoph. So Franklin Christoph actually do, uh, like they're very famous for their special editions. But in, if you ever go to Singapore, so Singapore's, uh, and don't giggle, but the Singapore pen store called Fook Hing Trading, Mm-hmm. Um, actually have their own special edition Franklin Christoph. So they had one before, which was um, very similar to the Coke bottle finish that everyone's all gaga about and um, actually closer to the Italian ice finish, which is the transparent um, that goes purple under light. So a Fooking Trading has had in the past uh, a version called the Arctic ice. So I'm not sure if you can see that but the Arctic ice is actually blue. So it's like transparent, but blue. Um, unlike the Coke bottle, which is green and the Arctic, uh, the, the Italian ice, which is purple. So this was their previous edition. They've now come out with, um, a new edition, which, uh, was apparently a long time in the works and the camera is not going to pick up this, but this is the lavender pearl. Oh. And so it's actually really nice pearlescent purple, um, quite light, and it's a really, really interesting finish. So I quite like this one. Um, it's very different uh, to a lot of other Franklin Christophs because it just looks like pearl um, – it's called Lavender Passion. It looks like um, pearlescent eyeshadow or mica just trapped in the acrylic. It's very swirly. It's got the suggestion of like a galaxy on a white background though. So um, I picked up these, uh, the two, the Arctic Ice and the La- uh, Lavender Passion. Lavender Passion? Lavender Pearl? I think it's Lavender Passion. I'll figure it out and update it in the show notes. Um, I got them in the P66, the pocket size, and I also got them in the full size, the full size 66. Um so those were my two most recent purchases that I can show off because I do have these here. And the other ones are with uh, concierge. They're with my building manager at the moment. I have multiple boxes there. Um, so I did uh, help myself to a few of the selection in the stock room in their new, in, well, maybe not new anymore, but in the Franklin Christoph diamond cast. Um, finished. Oh, yeah. So they did the diamond cast green and diamond cast blue recently in a number of models. And I helped myself to that. I helped myself to a neat one of the neon yellow pens that they did. Um, the P65, neon yellow P65. Yeah, very unlike me, but, um, I was tempted and I caved in and I got a few more Coke bottle pens actually. So. They recently, Franklin Christoph, put out a nuclear green. That's the one that is I got. The, that's the one? Yep. Yeah. It's yellow. That one is is vibrant. It is. Yes. I'm, I don't like green, and I was very tempted to get one. It's 
more yellow than green. Yeah. It's very, it's quite a lime shade, like a incandescent fluorescent lime mm, shade. Mm. I, I think nuclear is, is the right, the right yeah. word for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, what about, uh, what about you, Di? You, what are your acquisitions you want to have a chat about? Well, my Franklin Christoph purchase was no way as expansive as Sharon's. Um, but like I said, this is currently the, oh, the only Franklin Christoph pen I own, the model 19. And it's the only Franklin Christoph model that's really caught my eye in the last few years. I haven't been, my, my pace of acquiring new pens is really, really slow down. So this is my new pen, the first new pen I've had in, um, since my random purchase of like 10 um, pen BBS <laughs> um, demonstrators back in, I think, July. So I'm really happy with the single pen that I've purchased since July. Um, but what I have acquired a mass of, and you'll see it in this huge stack right here, is I bought a bunch of 2020 planners. <laughs> How many planners yeah. do you need? Exactly. You, you asked this of me. And how many Franklin Christophs do you need, Sharon? At least 50, so Are I you... get a special pen. <laughs> <laughs> well, good thing for you. Melbourne Pen Show is coming up. So the ones that you don't like, you can just offload at the Melbourne Pen Show next week. I think, I think you got to hold on. You got to hold on to them and take a photo together. So. Yeah, it might yes. be it might be mass exodus at some point after you get your uh, your custom. Um, so my planners, I don't know if you know this, but um, the planner that I've been using for the last I think six years continuously is the Quo Vardis. Um, it's an A five planner. It's a model that is no longer available in Australia, and um, it's called the Quo Vardis Visual, and it's like a week to spread to a to a spread planner um i like the crovatis because it's basically a clairefontaine paper another feature that i like about the crovatis visual is that it has these little perforated um corners to it so every week you can like sort of rip off the edge of the page and it creates like an easy flip indentation at the bottom of the planner and i i just find that a really handy design feature and I wish a lot more planners use that but because the visual the Quovitis visual is so difficult to get in Australia nowadays to get it I have to order through Amazon get Amazon to ship to my US um, a mailing forward service in the US and then get them to ship it to me so in the process of getting this planner I pay like 300% of what the actual planner is worth, uh, which is stupid, <laughs> but, um, I haven't found anything. I haven't found anything to properly replace it. And, but I keep trying, right. Um, I thought for a while that, um, the Hobonichi would work for me, but it doesn't because I, I don't like the day to a page format, but still I, I get a Hobonichi cousin Teco. Teco Cousin, the, the A5 version. I get one every couple of years because I use it to log um, my inks and my pens um, because I like the Tomoe River paper. This year, for the very first time, um, I also bought a couple of weeks because I like the covers <laughs> and I wanted to try having um, a planner or a small, you know, this size notebook in my handbag. Um, I'm going to try and see if the format works for me as a sort of a handbag um, notebook. 
have you found it so far? I haven't started using them oh, yet. But the 2020 planners. But they're okay to be used from November onwards. Are they? Yeah. Do they have November? But I don't plan on actually following the, oh. the dates. I just, I'll probably just, no, 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 no. They, they, they start they in have, November. Um, they start on November 25th. Ah, okay. Yeah. I'm looking see, at it now. See, that, that for me is, that would be a conundrum because I would be torn between starting the new one and or completing the one that I had already had in progress. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so I rarely get, if it's been a while since I've gotten a planner, I might be due for one. I might not be due for six, but I might be due for one. <laughs> um, and I, I don't, there's so I much don't judgment often... coming from Chuck right now. Like literally, <laughs> no, I... there's so much judgment. I'm feeling very attacked. <laughs> <laughs> me, no, me and me and planners is like uh, what we've talked about with uh, Inktober and stuff. Is that it is a commitment that I find by my birthday in April. It's <laughs> I have abandoned, uh, and I, I had a much better time last year with buying a blank grid notebook and busier uh busier weeks were given more time more space mm-hmm. and you know uh, months where i didn't have gigs or i didn't have other jobs apart from work uh then i would give that a, a page uh, and that worked out a lot better for me than having uh one planner with set dates uh, and I think that might be the go for me. Well, um, I, I, I think I've, um, I've taken photos of my planning system um, on FPO before, but I use a combination of a, a bullet journal that's on unstructured paper, so it's just on blank gridded pages. Um, mm-hmm. I use that as a, like a to-do and for planning. And the actual planner is only for writing up appointments and, um, you know, dates, travel dates, things like that. So I get the best of both worlds. Um, the planner is only a week per spread, so I don't have too many dates to work with. I don't have a lot of space wasted, um, but I have the unstructured blank pages to actually fill however I want as well. So I, I like that combination. But in the process of trying to replace my A5 um, Corvatus putter. This year, I picked up. Well, I picked up for next year a note notey. Uh, it's spelt N O L T Y. Um, a notey A five planner. I think it's called the. Um, it's the notey six three eighteen in the sky blue. Um, it's a Japanese planner brand. Um, you can't find a lot of information about it on. YouTube or Instagram or um, in the English language blogging community. But what I have read about it is that it's very fountain pen friendly and I like the cleanness of the design. I have tried the paper in it and it is very nice. And if it weren't for the fact that it does not have the perforated page corners, I would, you know, start using this in a heartbeat in the place of my, my Quovitis visual. But as attractive as it is and as practical as it is, I'm, I think I'm just really too locked in to my incredibly difficult-to-get Quovitis visual diary. <laughs> um, and every year I, 
I, every year I do the same thing. I try something new and I always turn back to this really difficult to find planet. Um, and if you need a perforated- I, I don't give up. Well, I, I think you're going to suggest that I like use a pair of scissors or something. No, I was yeah. going to say if you need a perforated edge, you can leave it with me and lemon. I kind of, I can't guarantee it will be a clean perforation, <laughs> but you can get those corner cutters. I actually have one, a corner cutter which cuts the corner off. Yeah, yeah but then you have to like carry this thing, or you know, I, I, I guess it's possible. <laughs> But um, it's just one more thing that you have to have to make this Other work. than – well, you could have one corner cutter or six um, planners. So, I, mean, <laughs> I can see how one would win over the other. <laughs> the other two planners I got just because they were pretty. But I, I, I can recommend them as being very fountain pen friendly. Um, the other one is another Nolte journal, which is like Hobonochi – no, it's uh, Midori Travel Notebook sized. So I think it's called like the Slim um, B6, maybe. Um, so it's about, you know, it's about the same height and width as a Traveler notebook. I think a lot of people have reviewed this or something similar to it on YouTube. I like it. Again, don't know if I'm going to use it yet. It's still early. <laughs> 2020 hasn't started. I also got this from Rakutan because it looked really, really cute. <laughs> and it's this little... Lavender colored planner in this pocket size, which is completely useless for me because I don't use a pocket size planner. I don't know why I have six planners. Somehow they made their way into my lives. Yeah, just like I don't know how I ended up with 12 Franklin Christophs. They made their way into my shopping cart and on their way to Yes, me. yes, exactly. Um, Were you late night shopping probably, again? <laughs> something like that. And I'll probably just end up using them as. Um, not as planners, not as intended. I'll probably just use them as notebooks. Mm. Um, but yeah, it really, I don't regret it. Really it. Is... <laughs> Nolte, Nolte planners are nice. <laughs> yeah. It really is the most dangerous time for me to be drunk and not at a party. Like it's the trip, the trip home where I am most in danger of spending money. When I'm in a cab... Or, uh, you know, whatever ride-sharing service have you. And I'm like, I'm going to kill 15 minutes in between here and home. So oh, I'm gonna, so I'm going what to unwise purchases pants. have you made <laughs> while you're in a cab? Yeah, it's, it's not, 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 an amazing, um, not an amazing go. I have acquired a few other things, but I'm going to spread them out over some episodes because... Uh, the, the two of you know that uh, I tend to not get something for a while and then make rapid changes. But uh, not everything stays in your collection. Not everything right. stays. Um, I, have, uh, I have found some things are more likely to stick around. There, there is one... Uh, there, there are probably four or five untouchable spots and the other ones are subject to whims. Um, well, I, I guess I feel like I've slowed down in the last couple of months in preparation of Melbourne. So we're recording this on November 3rd. As Mel and Kevin said in the last episode, the Melbourne Pen Show is next Sunday. We're exactly one week away, actually. It's going to be on November 10th at the Melbourne Town Hall in Melbourne. 
Um, Sharon and I are both playing down, aren't we? We are, but I'm not buying anything. I'm too broke. So you say. I'm too broke. I'm <laughs> yeah, actually too true. broke. Uh, we can talk offline about my other haulage from overseas, um, but I'm too broke. <laughs> okay. Well, I definitely am open to um, fulfilling up the last, you know, three or four slots um, in my collection of 100. Um <laughs> Maybe I have a couple of things in mind that I want to attempt to get at the Melbourne Pen Show. We'll see how that pans out. Um, yeah, that, that's part of my hopes for the rest of November and for the rest of the year. Mm. This is not going to be the last Franklin Kristoff you'll you'll hear of uh, from from any of us. From I don't Sharon. Think. Yeah. No, I'll, t- I'll take a photo when they all come in. See, we I recorded that episode with Audrey not at all planning to incite this rash purchase of um, a whole collection of Franklin Christophs in one night. Sharon, did you get any signips at least? Um, I did. I got an M and a B sig. I may or may not have gotten an F sig. I just can't remember. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> There was a lot of add to cart, add to cart. Hang on a sec. I could probably figure it out from what my order actually says. So I got <laughs> – no, I got a SIG fine. I got a SIG extra fine. I got – I want to get one of those. I got a medium SIG and a SIG broad. So I should have the full range of SIG nibs. Um, I got one of their standard 14K 1.1. I think no, yeah, one point one cursive, um, and just some standard medium and broad nibs. Um, so Singapore was pretty interesting, the Fuking store, um, because they they actually only sell the pen bodies. You have to buy the nib separate, so they don't sell it as a pen plus nib um, mm-hmm. combo like what Franklin Christoph actually does. They sell as a pen a pen just empty and you will see that one of mine actually has no nib on it because I do have spare size six nibs, but they actually just sell you the body with nothing on it. And then you have to buy the nib separate. But you also buy the nib from Fuku, 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 Fuku. King trading, Fuku yeah. trading. So they also They've got a very limited selection. To... They've got a very limited selection of nibs, um, just the plain stainless steel and a couple of music nibs. The nibs are pretty expensive. Um, they're 40 Singapore dollars for a nib, 55 if you want a music, and then it just goes up from there if you want any other weird stuff. They don't carry gold nibs. The pricing of the actual pen wasn't too bad, um, but it's mainly the material, which is really nice. I'm really, really fa- fond of this purple one. I'll bring it next time. Yeah, we'll have to see that in person. and um, In person, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And take a I photo for me. Yeah, for the, we'll do. For the show. We'll do. Yeah. Uh, all right. That takes us to the end of our main topic and it takes us to our recommendation section, uh, which is where we recommend things that we uh, feel very strongly about and they may not be fountain pen or uh, paper related. Uh, does anybody have any uh, burning desire to go first? Any any major recommendations? I can go I'll first. Go. Oh, okay. You go. Oh, yeah. I, I've been thinking about this recommendation for a couple of weeks now. I've recently started listening to a history podcast. Um, do either of you, have you ever heard of um, a podcast called Hardcore History? No? Um, 
my recommendation is not hardcore history, but I I mention hardcore history because it's one of those podcasts that when people ask for podcast recommendations, it's one that comes up a lot. It's very well known. It's um it has a lot of fans. Uh, it's by I I think he's a writer um, called Dan Carlin. His podcast is notable by the fact that he throws out all the rules and publishes episodes that are like five hours long. And it's a podcast about mostly military history. So he looks at historical events from the lens of like military campaigns, um, military leaders, that sort of an angle. That's why it's called hardcore history. So it's about um, violent episodes in human history. My recommendation is a bit of a counter to that particular podcast. It's a much more recent project. It's called Fall of Civilizations, the Fall of Civilizations podcast. And I enjoy it because as much as I also like listening to hardcore history, I find the focus on the military motivations, military campaigns to be incredibly reductionist. Um, in looking at how events have been shaped. So when if you are focused on military history, I think there's too much emphasis placed on individuals, so great men. That's the theory, I guess, of um, historical causation that hardcore history tends to derive its narrative from. So it's about military, it's about people who shape history. But the Fall of Civilizations podcast it's looking at a civilization and over the course of whether it's centuries or millennia, how that civilization um, rose and then fell. So it, by taking that longer period of history as its focus, it's not really primarily looking at an individual or one particular event. It's looking at trajectories and trends, which are much more, um, they tend to be more climactic or, you know, um, I think more relevant to the age that we're talking about right now in terms of relating historical events to the anxieties of the current day, um, you know, climate change, um, uh, civilizational crisis, things like that. So I find yeah. I, I've listened to, I think about five or six episodes by now, because it's, that's how many episodes have come out so far. And the through line I've found tends to be how you have good leaders and you have bad leaders, but ultimately what determines the success or failure of a civilization are things that no person can really control. Um, yeah. You know, there are, it's about cycles of climate, um, you know, rainfall, temperatures, uh, the tides of rivers, which migrate over millennia. And those things are, are so outside of human control and they tend to be the things that, um, change so slowly, people don't even realize it's happening. And I think one thing we often talk about when we talk about Fall of Civilizations is, I think you've probably all heard of the book called um, Fall of the Roman, no, I think it's called The Fall of the Roman Empire, Edward Gibbon's History. That's a very famous book about um, why the Roman Empire fell. And 
until very recently, people talk about the fall of the Roman Empire in terms of, you know, um, invading barbarians, in terms of decadence, and it's still very human focused. But if you're looking at it from the lens of this particular podcast, he would talk about things that are much more long-term trends. Um, and I find that lens to be really interesting. So give it a go. The episode on the Sumerians and the one on the Easter Islanders, those two are really interesting. They have a lot of science and um, new archaeological data, which I never learned about when I was doing history, um, you know, over a decade ago. So if you're interested in ancient history and you like these kind of more melancholy stories, give it a go. It's really, really well produced. It's written like a historical documentary, basically, and he has voice actors who does narrations. Um, there are pieces of music, which are our recreations of what ancient music would sound like. The whole production is just really impressive, and um, I encourage you to give it a go. Full of civilizations. Okay. Uh, Sharon, I, be- I believe you were, you were ready to go f- next. Yep. So I first have an anti-rec. And then an actual wreck. So uh, I was in London uh, about two weeks ago, and I – actually, no, I'll do the wreck first and then talk about the anti-wreck. So the, my recommendation is a show that is on Monday evenings uh, once a month at um, the Lyric Theatre in London. If you get a chance to go, it's called Showstopper. It is an improvised musical, which is – just absolutely mind-blowing. So I went on the 21st of October. I managed to actually catch a show. I was just there at the right time. Um, tickets are decently priced. They're about 20-something pounds um, for tickets. And basically you go in there and the audience participates in um, the production of um, the musical. So the... Um, actors effectively get, um, they uh, seek recommendations and suggestions from the audience around what the setting is, um, what songs they want covered, and um, what the, um, what are some of the concerns that we want covered in. So for instance, on the night I was there, we had the option of setting the musical in a zoo, or in Brazil, in a street in I think South London, or um, we actually ended up setting it in um, a product testing factory. And then the actors have to just come out and improvise songs. And we came up with wow. a name of it called Test Side Story, which was the theme song as well, <laughs> Test Side Story. Um, it was stuff. amazing. Wow. It was so good. Like there was so much talent there. And, you know, there are certain pieces which I think they would obviously – um, repeat uh, from show to show in terms of certain um, plot themes. So there's always a love story. Um, in this one, there was, you know, a forbidden love. There was also a factory manager who was cheating on his wife and his wife was then cheating on him. Um, and you just throw out suggestions of musicals to the actors and then they do an entire production based on the audience's suggestions. I cannot rate this highly enough. It was so impressive. There were two songs in there that really stood out. They basically did, um, so someone basically said, 
in ours. Um, what were 23 borderline items that m- almost didn't pass the product testing factory? And one guy burst into song and had to improv 23 random products that almost didn't pass product testing. And then during the break, you get to go on Twitter and say what you want repeated in the second half or what you want to see in the second half. And one of them was, we want to see a reprisal of 23. And like, there were certain parts of it where you just saw the actor who was, um, seeing this song, he had sheer terror on his face because he was getting down, he had eight items left and was literally trying to rhyme and pull together stuff at the last minute. There was so much harmonizing. And then all of a sudden there was a reprisal request during the intermission and he came on and did a reprisal of 23 ways to dodge tax. I loved it. It was, it was so, so worth it. So if anyone is ever in London, and you're there. I think it's the third Monday of every month. Um, the show, it's called Showstopper at, at the Lyric Theatre and it's worth it. It's just so worth it. I would go see it every, um, next time I'm in London. I'll try and time it so that I get to go there and see it. They've, uh, they've also got a podcast, which is not the same premise, but it is from the same people. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's called the Showstopper Podcast. Um, I'm gonna add I, that. I had heard the I had heard the name before, but I haven't listened to it. I do see that uh, Mel uh, Gedroik is on it, um, and she is a, a favorite of mine from various UK uh, TV panel shows. She's she's great. Um, yeah, but they so they've been doing this production for about 15 years now. They're very good, and just the amount of talent it takes to come up with this on the spot um everything's all live and improv um, good improv is the most amazing thing good improv so is good. life-changing and bad improv will ruin your whole week it's really it, it, it's such an improv a musical like you think about yeah, yeah. they pull together an entire musical and um end up doing doing a full-on production with harmonizing they're throwing to each other during the middle is there of also um accompaniment or is it just singing accompaniment Are there instruments yep wow. they've got they've got an improv band as well my goodness so it, it was uh, yeah that's it's really mind blow- mind-blowingly mm-hmm. good um so my anti-rec actually comes uh as a result of going to this show um we got there early and had to get some dinner beforehand because the show starts at 7.30 and ends at about 9.30 or 10. So we ducked over to Sophie's uh, Soho in London and um, got food poisoning from uh, eating there. <laughs> so the start, uh, and this was, what, day three of my uh, work trip slash holiday, uh, and it's 18 days. I was gone for 18, 17, 18 days. Day three worst food poisoning. I had the roast chicken and I had some cheesecake. My a friend who I was traveling with also had the roast chicken and the um, cheesecake. Uh, she started hurling at about 2 a.m. in the morning. I started hurling at about 4 and that just absolutely ruined everything for the rest of the trip. How, because do, you, how do you get food poisoning from roast chicken? I know it was actually fully cooked as well. So I have no idea, but it put such a damper on things because I was so violently ill that week. I didn't eat anything. I could barely get out of bed and I was headed to Paris over the weekend where we had booked a three Michelin star restaurant 
but couldn't couldn't really even enjoy it because we were so violently ill. So Sophie's Soho in London, big anti. Avoid. <laughs> so huge S O P H I E. P H P H I E. Okay. So annoyed. I was so angry <laughs> at that. It was the worst. Well, almost the worst part of my entire. No, it was the worst. Well, it's a good thing you trip. didn't start. It's a good thing you didn't start hurling in the middle of Showstopper. No, I didn't. Um, I wasn't feeling great, but I, I really just started feeling average after after the show, and then the next few days were. It was messy. It was messy. It sucks getting sick yeah. when you're traveling. The hotel concierge thought we had died. <laughs> he just vanished into your room for days at a time. Well, th- we wouldn't let housekeeping come in, and um, <laughs> they, we all we were doing was calling concierge, saying, "Can you bring up more water? Can you bring up more water? We're going to need some assistance. More towels, and more water." <laughs> oh no! <laughs> How about you, Chuck? Uh, What's your my wreck, my wreck is uh, is no surprise. Uh, it is going to be that. Um, uh, any, anybody doing uh, NaNoWriMo this year, uh, uh, I'm, I'm right there with you and uh, massive cheer you on. But uh, if you have an idea for something you want to write, I know it seems like a, a huge undertaking. Uh, and it, look, it should be. If you want to write a novel, it's going to be a big part of your life for, for a, a good chunk of it. And, you know, you, you should uh, give it some time. But uh prep for next year think about your story think about what you want to do with it think about the the themes and the characters even if you don't start writing just start doing doing your planning and i recommend uh nanowrimo if not for this year then at least for next and as every month can be nanowrimo yeah yeah i also uh, my, my anti-rec is procrastinating about your book for six years <laughs> Uh, don't don't do that. I think a hard a hard limit of three is fine. Um, but yeah, no one's gonna write it but you. Okay. Mm. Yeah, okay. Sharon, you need to write your novel about um, the tax ta- yes, the tax stories yes. at some point. <laughs> yes, I've been working at it uh, on and off, but uh-huh. not very productively. Yeah. Um, don't call it 23 ways to dodge your text. I think that one might have been snapped up. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think so. I think so. All right. Well, um, great to see and hear everybody digitally, even if uh, that that's all it was. And I look forward to the next time we get to gather at Sharon's, I presume. Yes. Uh, yes. I have so much you. wine yes. that needs to be drunk. I have so much <laughs> champagne as well. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're telling me. I now have overflow again. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll deal with that uh, for the for the next episode, maybe. Uh, thank thank you for joining us. Thank you, Sharon. Thank I look you. forward to the details on your new haul. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I Dai. look forward to seeing a, coll- a photo collection of all your new Franklin Christophs. Yes. Mm. <laughs> yes. yes. Yep. Assembled and and full count. All um, yep. Franklin Christophs. <laughs> yeah. But uh, thank thank you, Die, once again. Thanks, Chuck. Uh, as always, my name is Chuck, and until next time, ink well. Past and future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, or feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. 
Our producers this episode were Chuck Montano, Diana Dye, and Sharon Zah. Recording and editing was done by Diana Dye. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.